So, Ron, uh, you're one of the rare guests on the show that is actually from Kelowna, mm-hmm. born and raised here. Yep. What was it like growing up on this farm? Oh, the farm was lots of fun growing up. I mean, when I was really young, I mean, we still had dairy cows here, which, I mean, most people don't think of that ever as a Kelowna thing. You know, that's, right. a, that's a Chilliwack thing or something. But, um, yeah, there was lots of dairy cows when I was a kid until I was about five or so, and, and we got rid of them all. But, uh, you know, and then and it was always a good place to, to play and explore, and, you know, there's lots of history on the farm here, so there's always, uh, there's always lots of things to get into trouble with as a, a young kid and, right. and uh, lots of neat things to see. So, yeah, it was great growing up here. Has it changed much? Uh, the farm? Yeah. Yeah, so dairy cows are long gone. Um, you know, some of the uses of the barns have changed and some of the uses of the farm. I mean, now we're doing pumpkins, which I know when my grandparents were here, that was something they would have never thought of, you know, really? or dreamed of. I mean, agritourism is such a new kind of concept, I think, in general, and, and especially for the Okanagan. Uh, yeah, they would have, they would have never expected me to be doing this, I think over the years. So, so yeah, it's changed for sure. What was that animal we just oh, heard? That we just heard? I've got a couple of the donkeys, uh, just in my backyard right. and then they they come out a little bit later here for, uh, so they can, people can see them out in the yard here. So, right. yeah, they're, that's not so fun to hear that at five in the morning when you're still trying to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so they just basically saying, wake up. They're, some food. Yeah, they're they're saying, "Give me food. We want grain. We want our little breakfast." Yeah, <laughs> our cats do the same thing. It's not quite exactly loud, the same. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, um, and you met your wife here yes. in Kelowna. Yes, is she from Kelowna as well? Uh, she was originally born in Ontario, but was uh, I think two when she moved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pretty young. So most of her life's been here. Right. So yeah. And w- was she a farm person? No, no, not at all. But she so, convinced her to come to the farm yes yes i kind of convinced her i mean spent lots of time here you know as we started going out and stuff like that and um yeah and i think you know it just grew on her like you know i think a lot of people you kind of realize you know what what farming's about and you know being outdoors all the time and mm-hmm. different experiences and yeah she yeah we we made the decisions together to mm-hmm. you know come back to the farm and and uh do what we do now so yeah i managed to Fool or somehow. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you had twin boys. Yes. And then you moved to the coast for a while. Yep. Why so, did you? Yeah. Uh, Kelowna in the um, early 90s when I got done school was not a very good place to get jobs. I mean, I mean, people complain about sunshine tax in Kelowna sometimes now, but it was certainly been worse over the years. Um, so when you got done school, you know, university, it was very hard to get into any sort of jobs in Kelowna. You're limited to some of the government locations mm-hmm. like the city of Kelowna and stuff and um, quite frankly yeah most of them weren't hiring at the time so you end up having to go to Vancouver I don't think really Calgary was such a, a draw at that mm-hmm. time in the early 90s everybody that you know if you ha- had to go to the big city it was Vancouver and and you're able to get work down there mm-hmm. so that's where I ended up having to go and and uh, worked for quite a long time down there yeah so what happened to the farm when you were there yeah so when I was in Vancouver I mean my parents and grandparents and they were still alive i mean they just operated it basically as a hay farm and uh with some horses here and um that was kind of the status quo what was being done during those years mm-hmm. and when did you decide to come back um i think it was early 2000s we kind of 
Um, it was getting very expensive to live in Vancouver, and I mean, it's so much worse down there now. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, commuting was uh, from the suburbs into downtown Vancouver, where I had to work, was an hour plus in the mornings, and then an hour and a half to two and a half hours at night. Uh, and having young kids, it was like, well, they're just about in bed by the time you get home. Yeah. So we started thinking about, you know, it was time to come back to Kelowna, you know, see if we could find some work up here. Things looked like they were improving. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had seen a lot of different farms and what they were doing down in um, the Port Coquitlam, Langley, Fort Langley uh, areas. And so it gave us some ideas that when we did come back, and this is what we could try to do on the farm. So, um, so what kind of things did you see? Yeah, so it was quite quite foreign for us when the kids started going to going to these farms because uh, you know so I'd like never seen. Trips, they would, yeah, so yeah. like in kindergarten, preschool, and then in grades one and two, you know, they start going out to these farms and you know, they got pumpkins all over the place and hay rides going on and cool displays set up and. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, whoa, what the heck is this? Like, you know, this this wasn't a con- anything I'd ever seen in the Okanagan before. Um, so when we started kind of looking at it down down in those uh, big farms and seeing how successful they were being, you know, the amount of people that they were drawing in mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, all the different activities. And I think my wife and I, because growing up in Kelowna and seeing a lot of the family activities disappear, um, we thought, you know, this is a good thing to bring back to Kelowna. It, it fills the need and um, kind of brings things back to Kelowna, I think, that made it so attractive in the first place, you know, being a, a family vacation location or, you know, there was lots of family activities and, and they were just disappearing. So we thought this was a perfect fit to bring back. So, yeah, it was probably um, early 2000 when we really kind of started getting the ideas and then it was about 2004, I guess it was, when we... Uh, moved the family back, and then it took me a little bit of time still to transition and actually get a full-time job here, mm-hmm. which was in 2006. Mm-hmm. So. so what did your family think of these ideas? Oh, everybody thought I was crazy because, right. again, it was a foreign concept to anything in the Okanagan, right? So uh-huh. without um, other family members going and seeing what was happening, you know, you're just describing and sending them photos, and they go, oh, yeah, nice, whatever. You know, and uh, nobody really understood what the potential was or, or what was involved. Um, so, yeah, it took a little convincing, and that's why, you know, when we did start um, in 2004, we just started with, you know, growing 100 pumpkins here and right. and kind of making sure that, okay. um, you know, A, they're going to grow here, and if they do grow here, fine, then, yeah, you know, we can expand on the idea and, and start uh, expanding it and, and get it to what we've seen at the coast. So what was it like? Was it uh, a decision and then you just started? Pretty much. Customers came right away? Yeah, we, we just put up a few signs down the road and it was just a few locals from, um, you know, within the kind of the kilometer radius that kind of came out, you know, and, and uh, I had the kids uh, when my twins were, were still young and my, um, you know, just trying to do the math here, how old they were, I guess they would have been probably about 12 or something. You know, having them out there and just selling the pumpkins to some of the neighbors as they drove in to, you know, here's our pumpkins. And, right. You know, and uh, so I had them involved right at the beginning. But, yeah, it was just, just to sell to some locals, make sure there was some interest. Mm-hmm. And, like I say, make sure they could even grow grow on the farm here. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said yesterday was your busiest day ever. Mm-hmm. Busiest opening ever. Busiest opening. Yes. So what's an opening like? 
So for us, um, we open up all of October, but usually we open up the last Saturday of September. Okay. That's when we, we actually open. So we only run for, I guess it's five weeks. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's a pretty small season. So, yeah, we just, you know, advertise on social media that we're opening up, and, and we get a lot of word of mouth and, um, you know, others like yourself that come and, come and talk to us. And uh, so, yeah, it was weather cooperated, and we had a nice day, and, yeah, it was lots of great people came out and... Nice. And shared the day with us, so it was fantastic. So how did you get from a handful of neighbors coming yep. to check it out to the biggest opening ever? Oh, by the second year, we, we realized, okay, so let's let's try this a little more. And um, obviously, with the, with the farm here, we produce hay. So in the far far fields down in Mission Creek, um, went down there and we, we bailed some hay up. And the very first, or the second year then, we, we had a few more pumpkins to offer, and we offered a hay maze. Mm-hmm. And we started sending out little brochures to some of the um, um, preschools, kindergartens, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that got some word of mouth happening as well. And of course, not everybody books, but, but when they do come out, they come out with all the parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, come out with their, their one child that's maybe in that preschool. And they kind of go, oh, well, this is something kind of different, and right. um, um, it's something, you know, we'll, we'll come out on the weekend with the rest of the family. Right. So you get that kind of word-of-mouth effect happening. Mm-hmm. By the third year, we expanded um, to a couple, add a couple cutouts. Um, we still had the hay maze, but I think we expanded it a little bit. And uh, we actually hosted all that um, in our, what's our, now our parking lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we just tried to add a few more pumpkins Get a little more advertising. Um, at that point, though, we were starting to find print media wasn't really working for us that well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had coupons and things like that that were offered. But, you know, just for example, one of the local papers we advertised in, you know, they've got a huge circulation, but we'd get one or two coupons come in. And, right. and it didn't seem to make sense. And I think people were seeing the ad, but they weren't clipping it out and bringing it in. So we... Um, we kind of kept decided to um, keep working on on social media at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fairly new for us, but um, you know, set up a page on Facebook and and uh, start advertising that way. And um, over the years, I mean, that was definitely um, probably our go-to way of getting getting the word out there. Yeah. Um, and then I guess probably about year three or four, we expanded into what's now our uh, into the hay field. Um, we were getting a few more people coming out, um, a few more school groups coming out. And again, that just kind of snowballs um, to the point where you're going from maybe maybe 100 kids in year two coming from the various little preschools and stuff to like now it's probably close to 4,000 kids we get wow. coming out um, from and various schools. mostly local kids or there no. tourists coming? So definitely it's expanded. So probably, yeah, maybe three, four, well, maybe five years ago or so. You know, we started getting some schools that were coming from as far away as uh, Penticton or Summerland. Um, there was even some that came down from Vernon. Um, we had some from Merritt. So it becomes more of a, not just a local event anymore, it becomes more of a regional one. Right. Um, so certainly that's with the schools. I mean, as far as uh, just guests in general coming in, I mean, we have people coming from the Kootenays, you know, that come to the Okanagan to do their, say, shopping for the month or whatever, you know, visit some of the big box stores. Well, they're messaging us and saying, well, we're coming this day. Are you going to be open? And it's like, yeah, you know, we're, right. we'll be here till October 31st. And uh, But we're getting it, you know, as far as uh, Salmon Arm, Kamloops, uh, like I say, Nelson Trail, 
down south as far as um, you know, Penticton, Osuyas, um, Merritt. So it's definitely become yeah very regional now in, in sort of our draw. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty cool to see that too. I mean that's beyond what we ever thought would happen. That's great. So you've got some fun activities for mm-hmm. kids. Tell yep. us about that. Yep. So um, yeah, over the years we just kind of kept trying to add things, and we still have a few things in our uh, our pockets that we want to add. But right now we've got um, the hay maze, obviously for the for the little guys to go through. Uh, we've got. Um, uh, for our paid activities, we've got the hay ride, which takes you across the farm down as far as uh, Mission Creek, which is about a kilometer away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the corn maze, which is about three acres in size, and we have a uh, big slingshot where you get to shoot uh, apples or gourds or or uh, corn, depending right. on what we have uh, available at the moment, and we, you shoot them at a fun target out there. So usually that one's uh, pretty popular because everybody likes to see the exploding gourds or exploding apples as they hit the target. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one's, yeah, it's quite a big uh, uh, setup we have for that one. But there's lots of other free things. Like I mentioned, the hay maze. We've got the cutouts out there. We've got um, um, some history you can look at. You know, some of the older people are more interested in that than obviously the kids. But there's uh, something called the duck races over there, which uh, you just uh, have an old-style hand water pump. Mm-hmm. And you put little ducks or the rubber animals into the little trough, and you you pump the water, and it uh, race against your neighbor there, and to see who can get the little rubber animal to the other end. Right. Um, got the petting animals there, and uh, so the donkeys. We've got llamas in the pasture. The little goats and chickens are running around. Mm-hmm. Uh, horses are a big draw. They're right in the corral, right next to everything here, mm-hmm. and. Um, course there's lots of wildlife to see on the hay rides as well so there's lots of different things to see uh oh and did i mention cutouts lots of cutouts there so you got lots of photo opportunities yes we still get the piggies uh so we got three pigs one's a little shy about coming out but the other two come out all the time right and amongst all this we've got a cat running around us here which is uh usually here to greet everybody and there's a couple dogs as well and they usually uh are out here just sort of laying beside the cash register here and greeting people so So what there's lots, of, lots dog, going on. Uh, the dog that greeted us, what kind of dog is that? Uh, I always forget the breed names, but it's Mar- Marma Cross of the Kangle, which are both uh, livestock guardian dogs. Mm. So we do have lots of coyotes around, being a rural area. Um, there's lots of uh, you know, things that attract coyotes to your yard, like the chickens. For the neighbors, they've got lots of sheep over there, so coyotes are mm-hmm. definitely a problem. Mm-hmm. So having a big dog like that, just deters the, the coyotes from coming into the yard and right. hurting any of your animals. So, Luke Mankus is a realtor with Remax Kelowna. He loves what he does. We asked Luke if he had any regrets about moving here in 2011, and he always says, yeah, one regret, and that is he didn't move here sooner. When Luke came here, he didn't know anyone. He didn't know the neighborhoods or anything or anyone besides his daughter, who was six years old at the time. So he knows what it's like. Now, he's an expert and has helped well over 100 single people, couples, families, and investors with their real estate needs in the Okanagan. If you're new to our beautiful city, Luke can help you get connected with great lawyers, dentists, carpenters, landscapers, swimming pool installers, you name it. And whether you're new to Kelowna or not, Luke knows real estate. He can help you find a great property, negotiate a good deal, and hold your hand all the way through the process until the 
the day you get your shiny new set of keys. Luke is known as a no-pressure kind of guy. He's had clients where it took even a year or more to get them into a property. He just doesn't believe in rushing things. On the other hand, when you decide it's time to act, he's diligent, and he'll work day and night until the job is done. Give Luke make us a call or a text message at any time, 778-215-4273. Again, that's 778-215-4273, 778-215-4273 to chat with Luke about real estate. Do you know how much that dog weighs? Uh, yes, because she had some uh, health issues, and we had to get her weighed a couple times there. So she was last weight was about 140 pounds. Wow! And we got to still drop her about uh, 10 pounds. I, I'm hoping she's lost a little bit of weight, but she um, when she goes out there chasing coyotes away, she she um, does pretty good. But then she sort of loses gas after a little bit. So once she gets in a little better shape, she'll be she'll be doing good again. Right. This yeah. is 2010. This is my daughter who's now 13. No. <laughs> Here. Here. Yeah. This is the same um, thing came on a kindergarten trip. That's great. That's how we learned about this place. Yep. And uh, you're selling vegetables here. What types of products do you have? Yeah, so we've got primarily pumpkins. We do have gourds, uh, spaghetti squash. Um, uh, we sometimes get uh, apple juice in from another uh, orchard that we deal with. Um, we do offer the kids when they come out on their tours some apples, which is also from a local farm. Um, yeah, sometimes we'll try and grow sweet corn. They didn't do very good this year because of all the smoke. My corn did terrible. Um, but primarily it's yeah, just coming down to the pumpkins. I mean, we've got, I kept thinking we had about 20 some odd varieties of pumpkins, but we did a recount the other day and uh, we got 53 this year, different wow. kinds. So, I mean, there's everything from uh, small ones to large ones. You got edible ones uh, like the pie pumpkins. You've got, uh, I mean, just looking out the across the farm here. I mean, you got uh, the nice uh, white ones there. Some yellow ones. You got gray ones uh, called um, actually funny enough they're called blue doll more. But they uh, um, we've got the goosenecks, the birdhouses. So there's lots and lots and lots and lots of mm. different pumpkins. Most people are just familiar with your. Uh, garden variety that you see at the big box stores, which is just one size, you know, yeah. jack-o'-lantern pumpkin, but um, there's way more than that, which the, is what uh, makes it fun. The edible pumpkins, mm-hmm. do they taste different? Yes, they're yeah. different. Um, I'm not the baker in the house. My wife is definitely that, but um, the the, pump, the pie pumpkins have got a little more natural sugar in them than a regular pumpkin does. They also are not as um, wet, so when you make a pie, it can be a little... Um, little too too damp uh but if you use a pie pumpkin it's it's got a little firmer um consistency when you make the pie so it is it is better to have a pie pumpkin for your for your baking if you're going to use them all right so it does make a difference and you can help us out if we want to buy one to make a pie yeah i'll have to i'll have to look around out there and see where they've gotten stashed right now because everybody's been bringing them in like crazy so we'll we'll see if we can find something right so you have a five week season yes what do you do the rest of the year well, I, I do work at a communications company in town, and that's that's the job that's my 9 to 5, kind of, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that all year round, and then I uh, save up my holidays. And then for my holidays, I burn three weeks of it um, during mm-hmm. October so they can be on the farm here. Nice. So the rest of the time, you know, it's just, you know, you, you come home from work and you switch, take that hat off, and you put the, the farm hat back on, and, and away you go with... Uh, you know, doing your chores till 
seven, eight, nine at night, whatever, whatever sunlight you got, kind of thing, or whatever needs to be done. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I, I for for October, I have to use my holidays up. So I, sometimes I'm lucky and can save a couple couple days or maybe a week and uh, actually go on a real holiday somewhere for to Victoria and see my older boys or something. But that's kind of what you have to do with farming, I guess. And how about your three kids? Do they still help out? Do they go? Yep, yep. So my older boys, even from a distance, uh, my older twins uh, in Victoria there, you know, they sometimes help out with, uh, well, one last year came up with a new design for a logo for us and helped out with uh, a few things online. My other uh, two kids, um, my youngest son and my daughter, so they help out. My son helps quite a bit with... Um, doing the hay rides and going and getting pumpkins and mm-hmm. doing with some of the chores. My daughter helps in here with um, running the cash registers and helping set up, you know, in the mornings and so on when we need to uh, prior to opening and, and help cover things up at night before we close. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the kids are all still heavily involved. And, and I think that's, for us, a big part of, um, you know, being a farm is doing the family, mm-hmm. you know, doing this all together and, um you know, you support each other and work together that way. Yeah, that's great. So how does the flooding affect your... Uh... Well, that's a whole other thing. Um, I've seen the pictures on Facebook. Yeah, so flooding was actually quite a big problem. And I, I sort of keep trying to rattle on, you know, government and stuff like that a little bit. But uh, I always say we're the canary in the coal mine saying that there's a problem with the creek and everybody keeps ignoring it. Um, Mission Creek had a very long history of a lot of flooding, and that's why the dikes were built. Um, because, I mean, flooding went as far as uh, over to Ben Volan Road. There's old photos of a foot of water on Ben Volan Road. There's photos of, um, uh, well, actually, I got an old article from 1949 where it um, blew out um, just below the East Kona Bridge out of the banks and was flooding all of what's now Canadian Tire and stuff. So wow. you think about all those homes that are there now, the businesses that are there now, and what they've done to mitigate from preventing that from ever happening again. It's not there. Um, the cop-out that the provincial government and, and, and to a lesser extent, the regional local, local governments, they just kind of go along with what the province says. But they say it's fish habitat. Well, I've been watching this last um, last month, and literally I've seen two kokanee behind our place, which, uh, I mean, we have about... 400 meters, I'd say, of, of Creek Bank. Mm-hmm. And so it's a pretty good sample section there. And there's nothing. And it's because the gravel that's come down is so big. And you think a little tiny kokanee, he has to little stir up a little area in the bed to lay the eggs. Well, if the rock's bigger than him, he's not going to be able to move that rock. Yeah. Um, so it's very frustrating because, you know, you, it's not helping the kokanee, despite what they're saying. Uh, the creek bed is rising. And that's how we ended up with so much flooding going on. So if you've got the creek bed coming up, all that water in the flood is coming across our fields. And it was as much as 50 acres down there. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of joke, I've got so much sand down there, I could host Colona's biggest uh, beach volleyball tournament down there. Maybe you should. Yeah, maybe I should, <laughs> make a point. Um, but the canary in the coal mine part is if, if the creek's coming up and it's flooding my field and depositing the sand on it, every part is rising except for Colona. Um, they, they try to say, well, we put some material on the, um, the dike to raise it. Well, if you go look behind where I work, um, along Mill Creek, the creek actually eroded out that same material that they put in. It didn't help. All it did is make it a nice biking path. That's all it did right. and, and raised it a bit. But you can see the, the water eroded out 
several sections of that mm -hmm. same type of gravel material they used. So, so where, the where is the sand coming from? Well, the, we're all actually down on the flats here. I mean, this is a lot of clays and and silts, but up in the mountains, if you go up there, it's a lot of gravels and stuff like that. And right. so Mission Creek's just a giant conveyor belt that picks up all that material, and it just pours down down the channel. So it's well documented by government and stuff. You know, that there's a lot of material coming down. There's been lots of studies on maybe ways to deal with it. But the dredging that they used to do um, stopped probably... 15 years ago, I think it was, roughly. I don't have the exact date. Um, what? Do you know why? I think it came down to money. was probably a big part of it. Um, and because some people were starting to talk about um, fish habitat. But again, like I say, um, fish used to be in the numbers of about 100,000 up to the mid-70s. Um, now they're down to, like I say, I can only see two in our little section here. Um, they, they say it's the dikes that have caused the problem, but I disagree. There was an issue with um, the province. They introduced a type of shrimp into the lake. That caused a huge competition between the, the small kokanee and the shrimp, what they were feeding on, and that contributed to a big decline in numbers. And that was well documented, but they're not um, sort of saying if that's still why the issue is that it's crashed or, or not. But... Um, so it's a very complex issue, just to kind of sum it up. There's a lot of different things involved in it, but the status quo isn't working, and something needs to be done. Um, my worry is, you know, they're just going to keep letting the creek fill up. Our place will just keep continuing to get buried in sand. But this year, and which is what I told our MLA, is that um, it's going to hit the Swamp Road roundabout first, and it did this year. It flooded that out for a day, uh, and after that, if you look on the maps, you've got the H2O Center, you've got a golf course, you've got residential. Mission Creek is going to start causing bigger problems. Mm -hmm. And if they don't do something about it, all that well-documented history is going to come back again. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, I, I don't understand why they don't want to do something, but I think it comes down to the dollar. And, and yeah. you know, it's there's programs that are working down in the Fraser Valley. Um, I think it's between Chilliwack and Hope. They actually go and, and clean out the gravel, and then they sell it. So they actually make it a, a revenue-neutral um, activity, and it helps because it's it's there hasn't been problems with the, the fish habitat that I'm aware of. It's helped keep the creek clean because, obviously, it's a major shipping, especially as it gets down towards the end. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you got the port of Metro Vancouver down there. Um, so there's a lot of uh, pros to having that cleaned out, and, and I've said to Steve Thompson, my MLA, you know, it should be done here that, you know, the same model. Why isn't it looked at? Where that gravel could be resold. There's a lot of construction going on. Everybody needs gravel. Um, yeah. And make it, you know, revenue neutral. So, what did Steve say? Oh, he was going to look into it. And, and then I got hold of a, a report uh, that that office, when he was Minister of Forests and Natural Lands, uh, again, supported dredging the creek, cleaning it out. Um, so I sent him an email and said, this report just came out from your very department, supporting again, this is like the third report that supported cleaning out the creek, uh, what are you doing? Well, he never replied, and about a month later I got it from somebody in the Penticton office saying, no, they're not doing it. Wow. It's like, how much, you know, it's not just me anecdotally saying what needs to be done, but it's reports that are supporting it. You know, it's, it's, 
it's yeah. something that needs to be looked at. It's interesting because so many of us live in this city, mm-hmm. just a few kilometers from you, yeah. and uh, we're not aware no. of most of the things you're talking about. No. Hopefully we can raise awareness a yes. little bit. Well, even for yourself as a realtor, I mean, yeah. um, it's the sort of the Real Estate Association of BC. I, yeah. I can't remember the exact uh, name. The council? Yes, they, they were supporting, actually, um, some flood studies going on in BC right now because, obviously, they see how it can affect, obviously, real estate values Definitely. throughout the province. Yeah. Um, and sort of the side effects that you know, come with flooding, obviously. Um, so they were putting some money into having some research done and so on. And they've been issuing for about the last three years um, some reports about where municipalities are at with all this now. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen what happened with Mill Creek, you know, right going yes. through the downtown. And that's a tenth of the size of Mission Creek. Yeah. So, um, Sometimes politicians don't act until the... the it becomes an actual crisis. Yes, and that's the worry. The farmers, like yourself, mm-hmm. are aware of it. Yes. Often years before yes. the general public yes. are aware. Yes, and we raise the flag, you do your due diligence. I don't want to see, you know, somebody have to unnecessarily get flooded out because yeah. some bureaucrat put a put a dollar on that it was cheaper to, to have the creek, you know, flood than it was to worry about, you know, the consequences of somebody's house being destroyed. Right. So... Would you like to nominate someone to come mm-hmm. to the show? I was wondering if I could nominate maybe a couple people. Sure. Uh, and keeping in keeping with an agricultural theme, I was thinking about uh, James and Christy of um, Caldwell Farms, just okay. farther up in South Kelowna. Okay. And uh, I was also thinking about uh, Brenda, who's at uh, Curly Frog Farms. And the uh, reason I had both those names is I, I had one time been involved with a program that was offered through the regional district here in Kelowna. Uh, there was one contractor that was hired there, uh, Tracy Fredrickson, and she helped a lot of different farms come up with um, uh, business plans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for myself, I never never had one at the time and figured, well, you need a business plan unless you're going out to get a loan kind of thing. Right. Um, but it was instrumental in helping me kind of focus a few ideas. And at that, um, those things, we, we met some of these other uh, individuals, and, and I think they've all, you know, been pretty successful in what they're doing. So I think yeah. it'd be... Those would be good people to talk to. Great. Well, thanks so much, Ron. I know you're extremely busy. We're yep. in the middle of your seat, or just at the start, start of, of it. season. Yep. So I uh, really appreciate your time. Oh, I appreciate morning. you guys coming out and sitting out here with me in the cold and the wet. <laughs> <laughs> Our pleasure. Thank you.